This is the Oanda Podcast. Brought to you by Jazz FM's Business Breakfast. This is the Oanda Market Insights Podcast with me, Johnny Hart. Every week we review and preview all the big business and market stories with Oanda Senior Market Analyst in London, Craig Earlham. And it's a very Good morning to you, Craig. How are you doing? I believe you've had a birthday this week. Congratulations. I, I have, yeah. I mean, Another year I'm, older. I'm a year older and I look a good few years older probably than I did this time last year. Um, but yeah, it was a lovely day. Had a nice uh, day off yesterday, so back into the thick of it again uh, today. A year uh, older, honest, a year wiser? I'm not sure about that. I wouldn't that. go that far. Yeah. Um, Your uh, predictions over the grayer. last year have been appalling. I Theresa mean, May, the election... I mean, I was a long I'd, list. I'd say I was close on a couple of them. The right. Theresa May one in particular, I was within a, a one vote in Parliament of uh, of getting that one. But mm. yeah, All and I've got some really. things right. Not that you'll ever give me credit for those for those ones. But uh, yeah, no, it's it's been a good week to have a birthday and a day off because it has been uh, it's been pretty slow. I mean, yesterday. I mean, I can't take credit for the US having a bank holiday. I believe it was also Thanksgiving. Uh, but uh, <laughs> yeah, it, it's been a really slow week. It always is a slow week. Thanksgiving week, but this week has been particularly, particularly poor. So market's quiet, but there's still this obsession, uh, of course, with the trade war between the US and China. Where are we now? Well, it's it's naturally the most important thing in the markets right now is what's having the greatest impact on the global economy. But the obsession which we've seen on it in the last couple of weeks has less to do with the significance of the trade war. It's been significant for a year, but it kind of reflects the environment that we're in right now, whereby there's nothing much else to talk about. Central banks have all done their made their moves. They've cut interest rates three times in the terms of the Fed. Other central banks have cut interest rates as well. The ECB has restarted QE. And now they're kind of in wait and see mode. No, no one's really expecting too much of many of these central banks. Maybe a little bit RBA, RBNZ, but less so the other major central banks in the, around the world. So uh, again, maybe China even cutting a little bit, but things like the Fed and the ECB, etc., they're, they're kind of done for now. So it's, it, we're in this weird situation where we're, there's not much else to talk about. Domestically, yeah, there is the Hong Kong situation. Here in the UK, there obviously is the election. But what we realise is that the impact that that has on the on, on the broader spectrum is, is far smaller. And actually, when we're talking about our little election, no one else really cares. Uh, but so, so people are looking, just seeking out anything to talk about because you have to explain why markets move on a daily basis. So all you've read about really for the last couple of weeks is trade war, trade war, trade war, looking for any words, whether it's a tweet from the president, whether it's something from the Chinese commerce ministry, whether it's something in a Chinese state-owned uh, newspaper, looking for anything which gives an inclination as to where we're headed because also we have to remember this is a trade deal phase one that was meant to be signed two weeks ago that was meant to then potentially be signed um, next week and hasn't even been agreed was actually announced by Donald Trump six weeks ago as being done uh, that hasn't still been signed so there is a little bit of um, there is a little bit of anxiety associated with that, but I think the obsession that we've seen with it over the last couple of weeks is just a case of there's literally nothing else to talk about. So we have to talk about something. Let's look at the trade war every single day, and that kind of really uh, typifies how this week's been. You mentioned uh, Hong Kong, and China has warned uh, the United States against uh, this Human Rights and Democracy Act. Uh, of course, Washington has shown support for the pro-democracy protesters in Hong Kong. Could that affect uh, the trade talks at all? I'm, I was actually quite surprised by Donald Trump's decision to do that. That is not very Trump-like, is it? No, but I mean, when we look at the situation, you ask, 
what what is this bill going to achieve? Like, what is the United States actually going to do to support the protesters? Are they going to look at the United States relationship with Hong Kong and adjust that? I don't think they will, and not this year in particular. Maybe a year's time, they'll look at the situation, but you would expect it to have died down by then. Um, are China actually going to retaliate, or do they want to come out looking like they're fighting, like they are uh, an opposition to the US? Yes, they do, but are they going to do anything? I don't think they actually will. So I think this is a lot of fighting talk, kind of kind of like Cold War type um, stance, where you're saying mm. a lot and doing very little. Um, the the Biden, Chinese ministry's threatened countermeasures if the US continues to, as they call it, go down the wrong path. I mean, I mean they, what does they, that mean? Again, if the US continues to go down the wrong path, they've done it. They they they've voted on this in both houses, in both houses of Congress. They've it's been uh, it's been signed by the president. There's no continued. They've actually enacted what they said they were going to do. Why did um, the president do it? He did it because there was only one vote in the Senate against it. Like this, this was not just an overwhelming majority. This is everyone voted to back yeah, it, apart from one goal. single person. Who was, was that? I'm not. I'm not actually too sure, but Maybe I can't it was imagine. Trump. <laughs> yeah, the um, the, the it was it was in a situation yeah. where you can't vote down. You can't refuse to sign something. You can't veto something that uh, the overwhelming majority, to an, an incredible extent, in both houses back. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, as well, even if he'd have vetoed it, if that that could have gone back to Congress, and if they had voted by two thirds, they could have actually overridden the president's veto. And you don't want to put yourself in a situation where Congress is overruling your veto. If you think it has no chance of standing up, then you may as well just sign it and try and move on and accept the fact that this looks this is more of a symbolic backing of Hong Kong and mm. China was symbolically fought back and then this will slowly uh, peter away so te- theoretically it could affect the trade talks but the reality is I don't think it will both sides want to get this phase one trade deal done and this changes nothing in my view last time I looked the United States was still a democracy by the way so we're a fair play to them for supporting another democracy yeah I mean it's <laughs> this is a thing you've got you've got to you, just shows how much how far we shifted isn't it, in mm-hmm. terms of our expectations of the United yeah. States, that we're actually surprised that they're supporting uh, the protesters is um, kind of depressing in a way. Well, it's not, but it's, less, it's not just the United States, let's be honest. There, there, there's a lot of countries that you can look at right now and say, yeah. would, you expect, would you expect the UK to be any different? No mention of that in the election at all about no. Hong Kong protesters, which is... Again, considering it's a British, a but we did ex- discuss British Prince Andrew. Um, yeah, the, the more Former domestic colony, um, humiliation, which um, you know we're very much part of that process, and not a word no. in support of the protesters against basically totalitarian. Um, actions, but like I say, we 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 have a funny line um, uh, both in the US and the UK on, on issues like this. So yeah, it in, it is interesting to see that this has been signed through. But given the numbers in Congress, Trump had no choice. Here in the UK, we, I mean, let's look back a year to the Khashoggi case. Was anyone really expecting severe action to be taken against the Saudi regime uh, when it became quite evident nope. that there was yeah. uh, exactly? So yeah. I mean, we 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 like to say that we are a democracy. We are the bearer of uh, uh, of the moral high ground. But the reality is that you've uh, jobs exactly that is the reality is jobs isn't it yeah it's easy to take the moral high ground when you've got nothing to lose um and yeah so i I think i think trump probably weighs up thought it'll be overridden in congress if i send this back and it's going to do nothing to the trade talks and it'll be forgotten about in a week um so what what could happen before christmas then if anything with the trade war so anything can happen. Let's like, we we know that the details that they're trying to talk about is with regards to the uh, that, that Trump wants more intellectual property provisions and he wants uh, he wants a little bit he wants China to go a little bit further on that side. China wants more tariff rollbacks. So ultimately, if you if China if the both sides if if China offers the intellectual property provisions and the United agree to roll back more tariffs, then you could have a deal. But that's not happening. So I mean, it, it's just taking long. And it just it just highlights the fact that. 
we were talking a year ago about a comprehensive trade deal. We were talking about Trump saying this was going to be the easiest trade deal ever, and it's obviously not going to be. We've now narrowed it down to a phase one trade agreement, and even this is taking longer than we thought because it, these are the two most powerful nations in the world, and they both want something out of these trade talks um, and they both want different things out of their trade talks they have their red lines drawn in different places let's look at how the UK EU negotiations have gone for the last three and a half years if you lay out your red lines it's very difficult to move them and it tends to take a lot longer than you wish they would and this is exactly the same with the US and China. I think everyone wants the, this phase one to happen uh, because A, it represents a de-escalation in the process, the first that we've seen. B, it hopefully will lead to the removal of tariffs, which is good for the global economy. And C, it leads to the it, it lays the path for a potential further deals. I think many people, though, are looking at this, if I'm honest, and saying, if we can get this phase one trade agreement over the line, it's a de-escalation, you remove some tariffs, and the chances are we probably move on from there because if this phase one trade deal has taken this long to negotiate, the chances are there is no phase two. This is the deal uh, and anything else is just it is not going to happen obviously if trump then gets re-elected uh, on the back of a phase one deal and then starts to pile on the pressure again on china again then who knows what will happen we could have a few years more of this but i think people are looking at this thinking phase one maybe as far as this be, be as far as this can possibly get but we may not even get that. Remember, we were close to a deal back in April and we had a week of trade talks and everyone was talking about why we could be close to a deal here, we could be close to a deal here. And then on the Friday, Donald Trump came out and announced new tariffs. Everything collapsed for about six months. Would you bet, would you bet against that happening again? I certainly wouldn't. Less than a year to go before the election, so he's going to have to get something sorted out soon. He will, but then... He could also divert attention elsewhere. So obviously he went to Afghanistan yesterday and he said that they, they've reopened talks with the Taliban. So if he if he agrees a, yeah. if he agrees a deal, and he's talking about the close to being close to a deal with the Taliban, if he agrees a deal which which withdraws troops uh, from Afghanistan and effectively ends uh, the longest war potentially maybe in the in US history, then all of a sudden he can go back and say, Do you know, we're still fighting China on this, but we have ended the longest war in history. We are close to a deal with North Korea. We're close to a deal with this dad and the other we are making progress but i'm not i'm not going i'm not having a deal with china until we get everything that we want that may still resonate with the american public as long as the Amer as long as the us isn't in recession as long as people still have their jobs and as long as people still see their incomes rising i think they'll they'll accept that they're still in a trade war and that's just how it's going to be this is the person who's standing up for them and he is getting stuffed and elsewhere perhaps uh, so it's so a late so again there's no, there's no guarantees with Trump. We always try to get inside his brain. Everyone spends uh, spends far too long trying to get inside Trump's brain. But uh, I think what we've learned over uh, over the last few years is he's incredibly unpredictable. So trying to anticipate his every move is extremely challenging. Uh, in the words of Fawlty Towers, enough for a psychiatrist conference. <laughs> yeah. um, right. Uh, it's been a, a bizarre general election uh, week here in the United Kingdom. We were saying only last week that uh, Labour were doing fairly well. They were closing a little bit in the polls uh, because their manifesto was uh, getting through uh, to some of the electorate, if not all. Of course, the Tories at that point still had uh, a pretty good advantage, according to the uh, pollsters. I'm not sure whether you're going to take them or, or leave them at the moment, uh, Craig, because as we've seen in in previous elections, uh, Trump, Brexit, uh, 2017, they haven't got it right. But it's been a bad, a very bad week uh, for uh, the Labour Party after that car crash interview between uh, Jeremy Corbyn and the master interrogator, Andrew Neil. If you ever wanted a lesson as to how to interrogate a politician, I think uh, the history books will probably be talking about that for many, many years. Whether it's not, whether it's going to make the difference between, uh, in, in terms of the result 
Who knows? But uh, it's been a, a dreadful week and a better week for the Conservatives, not such a good week for the Lib Dems. As we stand, it looks like, according to some of these polls, and the YouGov poll is one that's uh, very closely looked at because that was the one that got it right uh, in 2017, has predicted a, a fairly comfortable majority for the Conservatives. Although they are giving out the message, Dominic Cummings and his people are giving out the message, let's not be complacent, we know what happened last time. Markets, I always ask you this question, um, how are they with this election at the moment? I'm, I'm assuming that they probably want uh, a clear-cut decision. And the coalition, another coalition would be a disaster because more uncertainty, uh, although with the prospect of no Brexit, which they might like. At the moment, what are markets saying? That's a big question. <laughs> yeah. Do you yeah, want to start the, it again? <laughs> the, um, so the markets have been pretty chilled from the word go. I, I feel like I'm saying this every week. The pound has been between 128 and 130 since day one. It's now at 129, so we are literally in the halfway house. It has been a, a bizarre week in that front. We have to remember, earlier this week, an ICM poll showed that the Labour had cut the Tories' lead to only seven points. So that was quite a significant one. But there's, we've got to remember, there's a lot of polls out there. Most of them tend to be very wrong. A lot of them are giving us different results. It was the YouGov poll that really got, got people's attention and one that even if you notice key voices from uh, not necessarily just within the Labour Party but key like uh, Labour um, backers uh, are, have set, have kind of acknowledged as being uh, quite a bad sign um, that, that, that this was the one the first this was the first poll last year that suggested that Theresa May may not get the majority that everyone was convinced was uh, was in a the bag, conclusion 100 plus wasn't it so yeah, this, this this one really grabbed people's attentions this week. And you talk about the car crash interview. It was a car crash interview. I, I certainly wouldn't want to be interviewed by Andrew O'Neill. Um, I think he, he interrogated every every leader that he spoke to and made all of them look pretty bad, to be quite honest. I don't oh, yeah. think anyone came out of that shining. And you know you know that um, he's well-respected. You know how fierce he is when Boris Johnson, having previously agreed to do an interview with him, when his team decides it's best to be viewed as a coward than to sit in front of this man and have you tear you to shreds. Didn't work for Theresa May, though, did it, when she didn't no. turn up for the, uh, the, the leaders' debate? So I'm, it's... It's, it's a if if that's the case, it's a risk because all of a sudden we're going to get, you know, a, a chicken emerging behind. Well, this is the thing. Uh, if I'm one, if I'm one of the other leaders, I am really laying into the yeah. the cowardly aspect of this. He's backed out of an interview with the BBC that others agreed to. He back he, he refused to take part in the leaders' debate last night. So I mean, I would really be playing the cowardly card. Do you really want this person standing up to Donald Trump? Do you really want this person standing up to the EU? He won't even face interrogation from the public. He won't face interrogation from other leaders. But, but, he won't face interrogation but, from Andrew O'Neill because. But, He's to, scared. But How to be fair, fair to the actual uh, the, the, the guys uh, who are involved in this election process for the Conservatives, it's a bit like uh, knowing that you might have to have an operation, right? Thinking, but you don't necessarily have to have it done, but you think it's probably a good idea. Mm. And just before you're going to go into surgery, I don't think I'll bother really. I think I'll just I'll just take the risk. Yeah. It's a bit like that with Boris Johnson, isn't it? Because he um, he could damage himself quite badly if he does the interview. So they're calculating how bad is the damage if he doesn't do it. You would like to think that in ordinary times that this would be something which actually ruins your campaign. That, that, that showing yourself to be a coward is something that would damage your campaign far more than any uh, any pundit could. That people want to see a strong 
strong, uh, responsible leader who is answerable to the electorate, who doesn't mind scrutiny because he believes in his policies and he believes in his manifesto, whereas reality, the reality suggests that he doesn't necessarily believe as much in what he has to say. He's scared of scrutiny. He's scared of being interviewed. He's scared of being crossed by the other leaders. And he comes out of this looking like a coward at a time when we need strong leadership. Mm. Um, uh, and the fact that he's decided that is the, that is the more preferential out than actually facing this, um, it, it does actually say, it says a lot of the fact that as well, that, that it's okay to just do that, that you can change your mind at the last second, because I can guarantee you in five years time when we're going into another, another election, if Boris Johnson is, is the leader of the Conservative Party taking us into another election, you can guarantee he's going to be the first leader that's going to be interviewed by these TV programmes, because no one else is going to be, is going to agree to be interviewed by Andrew O'Neill until Boris Johnson has been interviewed as well. So he's really dug himself a hole in that sense as well. But again, it says a lot about this election. It also says a lot probably about how they view Jeremy Corbyn and his chances because they're saying, do you know what, even in ordinary yes. times, if there was someone that people could get behind, um, then then this could be really damaging for us and we may have to just try our best and do the interview and do as best as we can out of it. But the, I think the Conservatives are looking at Jeremy Corbyn and saying there's obviously a lot of people who can get behind him. But I think they, they, they believe that there's a sufficient number who can never vote for him. So it, it, it doesn't really matter. That could come back to bite them. As you say, look at Theresa May back in 2017. She took the same approach. She avoided uh, the seven-way leaders. But it was Andrea Leadsom that stood in her place. Um, and she t- she was uh, very quiet during the last few weeks of the campaign because they decided it's best to say Amber nothing Rudd, than it is it to Amber Rudd. Yeah. Um, and, and so... Yeah, that that backfired. We'll we'll, we'll judge in two well, weeks whether well, this the, backfires. The, Tory, well. the Tories' um, general election weapon, they always said, was going to be Brexit. You know. Um, and, and let's get Brexit done. But actually, polling suggests that their best weapon has been Jeremy Corbyn. Mm-hmm. And I want to go back uh, to the interview very briefly with Andrew Neil, and not necessarily focus on the anti-Semitism side of things, which actually took most of the headlines. Mm-hmm. Uh, what a lot of people were concerned about was his um, kind of lack of uh, ideas in terms of the economic side of uh, the debate uh, with Andrew Neil, and the fact that he didn't really necessarily have a grip on costs and manifesto choices. So I would argue that it wasn't that he didn't have a grip, it's that there's buzzwords which you have to avoid. You've got to remember, in, the, in, in an era of social media, everyone is going to take a snippet of what you've done and they're going to post that and that's what's going to go viral. The entire interview is never going to go viral. Most people will never watch the entire interview. Most people are going to hear about what you've said based on the snippets which are posted online and go viral. He didn't, so, know, he didn't know the percentage uh, in terms of tax that the top 5 or 10% or 1% was paying. He didn't know that. Don't you think that a, you know, a possible prime minister should know those kind of basic facts. You also have to remember that these people have to remember an awful lot throughout this process about every single issue. So you, you'll always find gaps in Prime Minister's knowledge. If Boris Johnson would have sat there, I guarantee there'd have been gaps in his knowledge okay. as well. But I'll give you that one. He wasn't convincing in terms of the £58 billion coming from the Waspy women. That, that, that was the one area where he really did slip up. Because, and again, this comes back to the social media snippet side. The moment he says, yes, we will take on more debt then that will get snipped, that will be posted from every conservative uh, social media account, that will go viral, that will be posted by every social... That by, by, that'll be, that'll be posted everywhere, that will go viral, these clips do go viral in this day and age across various social media platforms. So he, you can tell, was brief beforehand, do not say we will raise more debt. So he, used, he did everything he could to say it wouldn't be more debt. He talked about there being reserves that just don't exist, or if they do, they're very small. He talked about, no, we won't pay for this with debt, we'll swap them for government bonds. Government bonds are debt, but he couldn't and it wouldn't be paid in all in one go. That was another point he yeah. made. We paid every year, but it's eleven billion um, a year. We're already talking about a manifesto with a, a you know a huge 
budget, really, isn't it? Well, also, Andrew, Andrew O'Neill did highlight the fact that this wasn't in the grey book, so this wasn't costed for. So this is something yeah. that's been added later that hasn't been costed, uh, and that they, they, they therefore... Some the would only say way... they were jumping on the bandwagon. Yeah, and, and that's what it looks like, and that's the yeah. problem that we have. And then now all of a sudden this is £58 billion, which just is debt. Until they find another way to pay for it, and they obviously haven't thought that up yet, this is just debt. And that worries people, and the Labour Party know that worries people, which is why they didn't want to be seen to have Jeremy Corbyn saying we are going to pay for this with debt. So, um, this, this, so yeah, that, that, that's one of the reasons why this was such a... That was really the standout for me. We've heard the anti-Semitism arguments before, although he did obviously get heavily The marriage allowance as well? Yeah, um, yeah. That, that, I think that was a key one as well because that's yeah. not even high income earners. That's, that's people earning yes. less than 50 And that's grand. real money. People can relate to that. I think it's £260 or something like that, wasn't it? Yeah, and obviously Jeremy Corbyn's argument was but they're going to be well, much better off as well from the fact that we are going to raise the, the living wage. We are going to give... We are going to bring back wing work benefits in certain areas so they, their net benefit is going to be greater than their, their loss from this that's a but theory again, that though isn't does, it depending yeah. on who you are it if you is, don't have children between the theory. age of two and four if you don't actually have if, if you're on beyond the uh, the living wage then you'd still lose out wouldn't you you wouldn't be gaining yeah I mean so what, what, it, what, it's, what it seems to me is what Labour has tried to do is they try to simplify the tax structure uh, with everything just try to put it down to three you've got 20 you've got 45 and you've got 50 and then um, and then and then after that everything 20, falls effectively so 2040, yeah. So you, you you break everything down into those four brackets and then that makes things a lot simpler. But the reason why the tax code is so complex, the reason why there is so many loopholes, the reason why accountants earn so much money um, with this tax system is because it has to be complex because whenever you put it, bring in a tax system, whenever you bring in a thing, there's always going to create a gap for someone who's going to be worse off as a result that was an unintentional consequence. So you then create an amendment, so you create something which enables them uh, to not be caught out in that way. Um, and I think this is one of the areas that Andrew O'Neill was picking holes and he was saying, well, how about this particular scenario? This person's going to be worse off and this is an unintentional consequence. Okay, Craig, before we let you go, a uh, quick word about next week. A uh, fair amount going on. We've got the US Jobs Report and Bank of Canada and the RBA and a bit of data as well. Yeah, I mean, next next week's a lot more interesting. We've got a lot more economic data, which is always more interesting. The jobs report is always the massive economic event of the week of the month, really. Um, and we'll, so we'll get a lot more insight again on this. But I don't think there's going to be any enormous surprises here. Uh, we've also got the Bank of Canada. I don't think we're expecting a rate move there for another year. So that could be a non-event, but it's always good to get an economic update. And finally, the RBA, they have been quitting interest rates. Um, I haven't seen forecasts for this yet, which suggests we're going to see a rate cut. But I think one is in the offing. So I wouldn't be surprised if this is the meeting where we do see... Um, uh, an interest rate cut over in Australia. So I think this is going to be a much more interesting week where we may be talking a little bit less about the trade war unless we see some actual progress uh, and a lot more about the economy and obviously the US is back. We have to remember this week was so quiet because it was Thanksgiving on Thursday. But if I'm over in the US and you've got limited holidays, chance are you're at least booking the Friday off and turning this into a long weekend. But you may even book the other four days off and then you've got a full week off uh, and you can enjoy seeing family and travelling and seeing family and things. So this week's always much quieter regardless of the fact that the economic candle is also pretty weak as well next week people are coming back and there's a lot more to talk about so it should be an awful lot more interesting okay craig have a very good weekend speak to you again next time thank you
That was the Oanda podcast from the team behind Jazz FM's Business Breakfast, a daily early morning 30-minute briefing for the day ahead. On air from 6am. Listen to Jazz FM on DAB, online or just ask Alexa.